Hi, I'm Arianna Raji Lee, and welcome to the Passion Mama podcast. Each episode, I interview a guest about modern motherhood to address its challenges, but more importantly, to celebrate its opportunities. From prenatal experts to postnatal health specialists, nutritionists, mums, and mums to be, I ask them to share their insights and stories with us. Welcome to Passion Mama in Conversation. Welcome to another episode of the Passion Mama podcast in conversation. Today I am joined by Carolina Belwal, who is the founder of After Third. After Third is a company that supports parents by connecting them to professionals who provide physical, emotional and educational support, which, let's face it, at a time like this is incredibly valuable. I'm going to start with the obvious. Uh, Carolina, you're a working mum with two children. You have a three-year-old and your five-year-old. You are working from home um, in these quarantine times. How are you doing? So I am happy to say that this week I can say I'm doing well. Um, Last week's answer would have been a little bit different. It was quite an adjustment. My children are three and five, and they're just at the stage where they're on the cusp of independence. They have moments where they play together, but they're not quite there yet. So last week, being someone who likes to check boxes off my list, I was very focused on trying to get them to do their homeschooling the right way, trying to stick to a very specific schedule, and it was difficult for everyone. Um, I think my children were having a harder time because I wanted to be so rigid. I had ideas around productivity And so halfway through the week, I just realized I had to let that go and come up with something new. So just by accepting the situation and letting go of those expectations uh, so far, this week has been much better. I think think that's really, really sound advice. I think letting go of expectations and going with the flow and speaking as a type A myself, which is extremely difficult thing to do. um, Yeah, I I, I think that's the best advice that that I'm hearing at the moment, especially if you are stuck at home with children um, and taking it kind of day by day. Um, So, and you know, everyone is still entitled to have good days and bad days and good weeks and bad weeks. Um, So I'm glad that this week so far is, is a good one for you. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, what, um, if any, sort of, um, I know that you said you were, you were maybe too rigid to start with, but what are you seeing that's working at home that you might be putting in place um, for your kids to kind of keep them occupied whilst also giving yourself space and time to get the work done that you need? Yes. So a little more context on that. I am fortunate to have a co-parent who is truly a co-parent. I would say I am unfortunate that his job is not flexible. So he, there are moments. So every evening I ask him sort of gaps in his schedule and I make sure that I have breaks during the day or when I have important conversations, I schedule them in advance so that I can have that hour working in the office. That being said, he gets more of the productive working time than I do. So to make sure that um, I can actually get something done, the night before, I look at what the kids have to do. I look at what I have to do. We talk about breaks in his schedule, and I set realistic expectations about what I can accomplish. So 
these past couple of weeks as an entrepreneur, I had actually planned to start on a round of business development for a pilot. And so this is critical to my business moving forward. This is core to our strategy. Well, considering we're in the middle of a pandemic, companies are not in the state of mind to look at trying new, new things. Everyone at this point is just trying to survive and keep everyone safe. So I realized that I had to put those plans aside. I essentially shifted my business plans to focus on leveraging the resources we have to support parents better by posting virtual events, getting our providers to um, join us for conversations that are useful, curating information and putting it out there for parents. Changing the focus of what I'm doing also allowed me to basically limit the amount of time that I work on this to two to three hours a day. One to two hours of that I can do with the children around. So when I look at their schoolwork, I basically figure out what are the things that they will least want to do? What are the things that are going to be easy for them to do? And when they're in a good mood, I do the things that they don't necessarily like doing as much. And when they're sort of in their normal mood or in a bad mood, I space out the other activities through the day. And then they have moments of free play where I notice that they're engaged with each other. Those are my moments to work. So I can sit in the room with them. I know what I have to do. I'm on my phone or on my tablet. And that's the work that I can do when they're there. And then when my husband comes to give me a break or in the evening after they go to bed, that's when I do the work that I can't do while having distractions. So essentially that's how I've planned the day. The, the key is that I have less time to work and I accept that. So I change what I'm focusing on. Um, and then I also figure out what I can fit in when the children are busy. And then with their schoolwork, I just do the best I can. Some days they don't do all their activities and that's okay. If you asked me that last week, I would have been very determined to say that they're going to do everything. <laughs> but I mean, I've had a reality check. That sounds like an inordinate amount of planning, even though you've said that you've kind of let stuff go. How do you, um, is that something that you sit down with your husband and kind of at the start of the week and you say, this is my schedule, this is your schedule, this is what we're doing? Or is it on just a really kind of day-to-day -day basis that you're, that you're tackling these things? For the really important things, I will sit down with him on Sunday evening or Saturday evening and say, these are the, let's say, the three meetings that I need to have. Mm -hmm. I need to make sure that you don't have meetings at that time. For the other conversations, you know, we can have it the night before. Great. Okay. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm so impressed. Let's talk a little bit about the work um, that you do and after third. Why don't you tell us a bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so right now what we're doing is we, we started in New York City and we're building a curated community. And what that means is that we're handpicking professionals who do amazing work supporting parents, whether it's doulas or lactation consultants or physical therapists who know how to support someone who's pregnant or has just had a child, postpartum therapists, so um, mental health professionals who actually have had specialized training in prenatal and postpartum mental health. 
we have, uh, because of what's happened with the pandemic, we've actually started adding child programming on. So we also have people who work with early childhood development and baby development. So all sorts of resources that parents might need. And uh, one of the things that we found was challenging is when you're a parent and you're looking for support and you start Googling, it can be hard to understand what a service is. It can be hard to understand why it's useful or why you would pick one person over the other. So we've essentially just put everything in one place, made it easy to find what you need and to understand what they actually provide you. And we're expanding into the UK. We'll be adding providers in London as well very soon. Our content and our programming is relevant to parents both in the US and in the UK. So that's already available and we've been sharing that. But these past couple of weeks, we've essentially been working on putting together resources, so a guide, on how to make it work as a working parent with kids at home and a guide for professionals with resources for them. Also a guide for women who are currently pregnant because it's really an unusual and stressful time to be pregnant at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you mentioned that you're launching in the UK. You have, so t tell us, so you started the business in the US, is that right? Yes, so we started in New York City, which is where I was based at the time. I was working full-time in corporate. My background is actually in strategy and I have an MBA. So I did, um, I helped large corporations, primarily in financial services, figure out how to make more money or how to make their businesses run more smoothly. And while doing that work, I became a mother and I found the transition into motherhood to be really difficult. I am someone who works really hard typically to get to where I need to and that strategy has always worked for me. But when it came to becoming a parent, I found that I was very overwhelmed and underprepared. And so I guess I channeled that experience into building Afterthirds because I felt that other parents shouldn't have to go through that. I felt that the idea that you buy a bunch of things and maybe go to a birth class, it's not enough to support a family transitioning into parenthood because so much more goes into it. It's fundamentally such a huge change to all aspects of your life. So that's where After Third was started. It was started as a, what I would call a hobby business, yeah. as out of my need to make sure other parents didn't go through what I did. And what we're working on now since I am no, I'm focusing on after third full time now, is we actually want to work with employers so that they can help parents. Because one of the things that we've learned in doing this is that the reason that there's a gender pay gap, the reason that there's not as many women in leadership positions, is because of something called the motherhood penalty. So basically, you become a mother and you probably work the same amount, but maybe you need more flexibility and you get punished for that um, with decreased opportunities, essentially. So we believe that we can work with employers and support parents and educate employers and parents to chip away at that gender pay gap, to chip away at that motherhood penalty. That's what, what I would have been working on right now if it weren't <laughs> for the pandemic. Um, I don't know if you are allowed to, t to say, but what kind of things would you be putting in place with employers in order to help achieve what you want to achieve? So I can speak at it very high level, but the the way we think about it is that this is, you are, when you go to work, 
you don't go to work just as the professional part of you. You go to work as a whole person. You go home as a whole person. You may go to work and you may try to conceal the difficulty that you're experiencing in other aspects of your life, but your overall well-being follows you everywhere you go. This is a major life transition. People often struggle because logistically it's hard, physically it's hard, emotionally it's hard. So that is going to spill into work and make things difficult. Um, it may make you less productive for both men and women. Um, it may make you less engaged. It's actually pretty common to see drops in engagement and in productivity for parents, especially at this stage. And for women, they're more likely to make that decision to slow down or to leave the workforce because they tend to take on more of the family work. So we believe that we can work with employers to actually support parents in that journey. So give them the education, give them the emotional and physical support so they can physically recover, so they can feel emotionally whole and so that they can actually have the practical skills and tools and information so that they can rearrange their, their life and make it work from a logistical perspective so that they can actually continue to meet both their personal and professional goals. So what we're trying to design is an experience. We want to be sort of your, your virtual village um, that holds your hand through this and helps you make both parts of your world work together and make your goals possible. And that benefits employers because obviously they get to retain talent and they have more engagement. But also, we're gonna be giving them a feedback loop because we believe that, you know, if you look at a relationship between, let's say, two people, it's never one-sided. There's two people in there, so it has to be two-sided. Mm -hmm. And so if you just address the parents, you're not gonna get enough sort of change because the parents and the employers have to change together. So that's what we're working on. We wanna, create systemic change in companies and in cultures by supporting parents as they experience that major transition. That's awesome. And, um, I, you know, that is such an important cause and one that's close to obviously Passion Mama's heart, but so many, so many of our own communities. So good luck with it um, and keep pushing and keep fighting. Um, and we're here to kind of support you in any way that we can. Um, You've mentioned actually to me previously that you hate the the term work-life balance um, and instead you prefer using the phrase work-life investment um, and I guess so much of what you so much of what you've just been saying is 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 around dealing with both the parent and the worker as a whole um, what did you mean by work-life balance versus work-life investment yes so I really there's two terms I really or two concepts I really don't like work-life balance, and also super mom or super dad. You hear super mom a lot more. Both of those things don't exist. Both of those are just ideas that we can continually strive for, but they don't exist. So with work-life balance, my problem with that idea is that you imagine a scale and you're constantly putting things on either side of that scale to get it perfect. But the reality is life is messy. And if you're continuously striving for perfection, you're just gonna wear yourself out because it doesn't exist. So what that looks like in the day-to-day -day is that, let's say, you know, I'm a working mother and every week I have to spend, every day I have to spend three hours with my family, eight hours at work, let's say. 
that's the goal. Well, I have a week at work where I have a huge project that I have to put out and I need to work long hours. Does that make me a bad mother? Because that week, clearly, my partner was doing all the family work and I wasn't. So what does that mean for me? That's my problem with work-life balance because it's, it's, not, it's not a scale. It's an investment. It's an investment in the relationships that you value. That's why I like to think of it as work-life investment. And it's, the reality is life is, is several different things. So when I think about the work-life investment, I see my time as a bag of coins. I have many different coins, and then I see the, where I want to spend my time as a little piggy bank. So my family my, let's say my children, my relationship with my partner, my career, myself, you, it may be a hobby that you really care about that's always been important to you. It's more than one piggy bank and I get to choose how I spend my time. And one week I may put more into one piggy bank than another. One week I may go on a yoga resort and decide that I need to spend that week just focusing on myself. And the only piggy bank that gets anything that week is the self piggy bank and that's okay. Because the week before, my children were home for spring break, and I took the whole week off and spent the whole week with them. And that week, the piggy bank was the children piggy bank. Over time, I put enough of my time in those different piggy banks that if I need to pull out of them, there's a solid foundation in that relationship. Because every aspect of your life, every relationship you're in, it's a give and take. Sometimes you give more, sometimes you take more. If overall, over the long term, you're putting in enough that it roughly evens out over the long term, you're putting in enough that when it's time for you to take, you know, that piggy bank will willingly give, then you've invested in the right way. And the other thing is when you think about balance, it's like you're keeping score. So when you have a scale, you're constantly keeping score. It's really hard to actually live that way because you're never going to make it exactly even. But if you take the long view and think about, I'm putting time into these relationships, I'm putting time into myself, I'm putting time into my career because this is my long-term goal, it's a lot easier to plan out your time and it's a lot easier to sort of put yourself into the things that matter in a way that's sustainable. So that's why I prefer the idea of work-life investment. You may decide that, you know, let's say you're having a, a... too much family pressure, there's too much going on, you may decide that you, instead of being in a corporate setting, you work as a freelancer for a year or two. And then you go back into a corporate setting. So you're easing up on your investment in your career while still making it because you know long-term you can get back in. Um, And that's okay because you're still meeting your long-term goals while giving yourself enough flexibility to actually meet your short-term needs. So maybe that's the way of thinking about it. It allows you to meet your long-term goals while respecting your short-term needs. And a scale where everything has to be balanced never lets you do that. That's a really interesting way of looking at it. Um, I, I, I use the, 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 the term work-life balance a lot. Um, and I guess there is that kind of pressure, but I do look at it in a way that it's, it's I guess, longer term. So it's not necessarily a tipping scale. It is, I guess, and, you know, I, I do look at it as an overall investment, but it's interesting the use of the language balance versus investment. So I'll probably start using the term investment. You've, you've mentioned that you are an overachiever and a workaholic who became a parent. 
Um, and you've also mentioned on this call that, um, you know, the transition into parenthood is extremely challenging. How did you, as an overachiever and a workaholic, deal with that transition, given that the need for after third came out of that transition essentially you, you found that you found a gap that you found something that was missing how did you deal with that knowing that this wasn't kind of around or available to you um during that time so i ended up having undiagnosed postpartum depression with my first that lasted for over a year and I don't think most people around me even knew that that was what I was experiencing because I was very good at hiding it. But it just made that whole first year much more of a struggle than it should have been. And there were a couple of times where, you know, I had a little bit of a sense that something was wrong, that this experience that I was having should have been different. And there were a couple of times where I tried sort of, let's say, meekly to seek out help. And I didn't immediately get an obvious answer. So I dropped the topic. And when I finally came out of it, what I realized was that there are resources out there because I started reading and doing research. But I didn't know what they were. And I didn't have them available on hand. Nor was it normalized to me that I should be asking for this kind of help. I believed, I think, what many parents believe is that you um, and your co-partner, co-parents, if you have a partner, should be able to handle this whole transition on your own. You should both be able to go back to work and be completely functional. You should both be able to handle the around-the-clock care of the child. You should be able to be a whole person. You should go through the learning curve of what it takes to take care of a newborn child and everything should be fine. And maybe you can all, you know, at the end, take pictures and matching outfits in a clean house and all smiling and post it to Instagram. But <laughs> that's, uh, that's not necessarily what the day-to-day -day is like. And you, you're not just born knowing how to take care of a child. You're not born knowing how to manage the change in your relationship. You're not born knowing how to manage the change in the demands on you as a parent. So it's a lot to go through. For me, going back to work after three months was actually a lifesaver because the, the isolation of being at home with a newborn compounded the depression and just made it a lot worse. So going back to work was good for me. It basically allowed me to continue to function until it finally dissipated on its own. But it was tough and there wasn't enough support. And I, when I started talking to parents, other parents, I realized that a lot of the things I felt weren't unique. Mm -hmm. A lot of people felt unprepared and were shocked by some of the things that they experienced or learned. They felt that maybe they had read a lot, talked to a lot of people, yet the reality was a lot different than their expectation. Thank you for you know being so open with what you kind of went through. Um, I know so many so many women do struggle with that, and it's it's always good to kind of be really open um, with these things. You mentioned that you meekly tried to ask for help, and then when the kind of answers weren't there, then you kind of let it go. So you just you came out of the postnatal depression completely on your own. 
or did you actually, did you manage to find some support and help? When I stopped nursing, it slowly dissipated. So I, for me, I'm pretty sure it was tied to the hormones. Right. I had asked my OB at the six week visit, who by the way, she was lovely and I really like her. But basically the response I got was, it's baby blues, it'll go away. And it didn't. And then at one point, I uh, tried to ask the pediatrician, who I think just dismissed me as a slightly, for lack of a better word, crazy mom, because he stopped answering my emails. Um, so that, those were my two attempts and I walked away from the, from the second one thinking that maybe I should change pediatricians because I'm too embarrassed. (laughs) My gosh. (laughs) Well, you're not the only one to have had that kind of experience. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, sad to, sad to say that that is unfortunately the reality that we're, we're, we're living in. Um, I know you've experienced it in the U S but certainly also here in the UK, you know, the kind of NCT charity stats and things show very, very similar um happenings at the six week check so um you know think things do need to change and i think they slowly slowly are as people are becoming more and more self um aware about self-care and their mental state but yeah we've still got a, a really long way to go so I, i'm glad that it lifted for you eventually um, i think this is where learning getting information so you can advocate for yourself is really important and also making sure that the people that care about you have information as well so they can advocate for you and make you feel confident in your requests. I think those are key. Mm, I would agree. And you mentioned that you went to work, you went back to work three months after. Now that to me, I, I, I'm not a parent, so I don't know, but to me that sounds extremely early. I'd imagine that um, a lot of women might need a little bit longer than that. I know that you said that that is something that really helped you um, kind of feel like yourself so what did I guess my question is what did becoming a parent do to your self-identity and how others view you so for me I think that was probably part of the reason that I struggled I am an overachiever and what comes with that is the need for some external validation and for me that was tied to my career achievements I had always thought Um, ambitious career goals and sought titles and sought, you know, those achievements within that aspect of my life. And when I became a parent, you hear little, you hear messages from people that, you know, it becomes obvious that what defines you is that you're a parent, that you're a mother all of a sudden to society more than your professional achievements. That was very hard for me. Uh, I was probably too tied to my uh, career achievements. I was too tied to that external validation. So, you know, this probably would have been something I would have had to come to terms with at some point. But because the way society views you so completely shifts and because you're going through so much change that you have to redefine how you view yourself at the same time, if you're really tied to that identity that you had before, if you're really tied to the way that other people see you from the outside, that shift becomes really difficult. So that was, that was very hard for me as well. And this is something that I've heard from a lot of professional women, because the, if you Google working father, no one Googles working father. It doesn't really exist as a concept. Yes, you're a working father, but it, people aren't Googling that. If you Google working mother, 
it's a conversation topic. It's Googled a lot because for society, there's inherently a conflict to some extent between working and being a mother. This doesn't exist for fathers. You can be a father. You can be a professional. They don't, um, they don't conflict with each other. So if you're so tied to that professional aspect of yourself, which by the way, I still am, it is very important to me, you know, the fact that all of a sudden you're defined by a different part of yourself, a different part of your life, the motherhood, and you don't get to choose that, that can be very jarring. And it's a huge shift. And so a lot of women actually question their self-identity. And the other piece of this is for some, you know, your priorities do shift. And so for some women, all of a sudden, maybe the career they had before doesn't make sense because it is so completely engrossing. It doesn't give space for anything else. So they've had this realization and all of a sudden they have to come to terms with what is next. So the shift in identity is difficult. It's difficult because you have to face it yourself. It's difficult because other people externally are trying to define what you should be seeing it as for you. How did you deal with that? What, you know, are you still? Um, I, <laughs> I don't know if I dealt with it initially. I, um, I just decided that I had to be perfect at everything. I was working at a, um, at a senior corporate job. I was spending a lot of time as a mother. I was starting a business. So basically I didn't sleep for four years. And that's not healthy either. I just felt that um, I could overcome these things by propelling myself forward even more quickly and by creating momentum. That momentum would just carry me, but I forgot about myself in that process. And, um, and I lost myself. I just worked so hard for so long that um, it took a toll on my physical and emotional well-being. I actually sort of it, it forced me to look at what I was doing and question whether I really wanted to be doing those things anymore because I physically couldn't. Gosh, that must have been a really, really, really difficult time, um, especially, you know, the type of personality that, that you say that you have to, to kind of come to terms with that. It was. It was very hard. I um, had to work with a coach. I had to work with a therapist to get me through it because I started having physical symptoms like sleep deprivation induced vertigo and stress related symptoms that weren't healthy. It was, it was a wake up call that the way that I was living was not sustainable. And so, and I knew because I was so set in my habits that I couldn't change them on my own. It was easier for me to continue racing forward than it was to pause and take a look around and assess what I really wanted to do. Yeah. Because to me, quiet space was scary but busyness felt like it gave me purpose even if it came at the cost of my own well-being but I came to the point where I had to make that choice and I was forced into it I had um it was really a moment where I would say that I sort of had an emotional physical breakdown and realized that I couldn't keep it up and so I went through that tough journey of looking inside and making changes and making tough decisions and also realizing through that, that I get to define who I am. If you have a strong enough sense of self, a strong enough sense of what's important to you, then you can make decisions that you're confident with and you can decide what your identity is and project that out. It doesn't really matter what society thinks. So it becomes 
easier when that comes from inside. So that's that's really the the journey that I've been on. Um, I'm laughing because it sounds very um, very fluffy in a way, but it, it's uh, it's it's very hard work. I can tell you, it does not sound fluffy in the slightest. I have absolute admiration for you, um, and I'm so glad that you were able to kind of overcome that. I do have one last question for you, um, and I guess this is quite a good place to land, given given how open you've been about your own kind of transition and seeking help and stuff. What advice would you give to women who are prioritizing work at the moment, um, who are who might be considering starting a family? Yes. Yeah, so, a couple things. One is that I. I think people think of these things in trade-offs. It doesn't have to be a trade-off. You can be a working parent. There isn't a conflict. You just have to have realistic expectations. If you, for example, are a lawyer on the partner track and you know that that means that for the next three years, you are working insane hours, but you also know that this is physically the right time for you to have a child, and that your partner can be the primary caregiver for those three years, that's okay. You're going in with clear expectations and being realistic about your situation. I think where things like this become toxic is where you believe that you can be on that partner track, you can work those hours, and you can still be the primary caregiver, for example you really, really have to look at what you want to achieve in the next three to five years and what you want your life to look like long-term, both from a personal and professional perspective, and then set the right expectations because then you can go in to having a family eyes wide open. The other bit is, this one comes up a lot around timing. You know, my, my partner and I sat down, we looked, looked at our careers, we looked at the trajectory, we looked at our finances and said, this seems like a good time to have a child. I think we can, we think we can make this work. And so we decided to have children. That's how we actually made the decision. And so your ability to support the logistics you need in order to support sort of the type of life you want, that's also a, a consideration. So there's a tactical aspect and you should talk about that with your partner. And then there's a aspect around long-term planning and emotional readiness. And that's the other piece that you have to consider. And then I would say, once you decide to have a family, make a commitment to yourself to truly treat it like the huge life milestone and transformation it is and give yourself permission to get support to be taken care of. I think as a mother, a lot of what happens is people shift their focus to the child. It becomes all about the baby and you also deserve to be taken care of. So perhaps that's an expectation to set. Expect that you should be taken care of as part of this change as well. Um, that's um, definitely words that Passion Mama stand by. So I think that's a good place to end. Um, um, Carolina, thank you so much for speaking to me. Thank you for um, what you're doing is so so important, and and for also just sharing your own personal journey. Um, it's really really powerful. So thank you. Really appreciate it. 
Yes, and thank you. I've enjoyed speaking with you, as always. Thank you so much.